You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Who's the band? Who knows the group? Three Dog Night. Kids in my neighborhood were so into that song, they would hear announced on WLS that they were going to play it at 8.07. So kids would look at a watch or ask, and they would ride their bike home so they didn't miss the song. Okay? We didn't have anything else but the radio. Good morning. <coughs> so I know it hasn't felt... Uh, that the weather and all, that spring semester is almost over, but it is, and summer is about to begin. About this time every year, we realize that a number of you are about to graduate and enter what we call the real world. You know, you'll be leaving this community of friends that you've made, you know, over these years, and you're going to be entering this new stage of life where there's all kinds of challenges and opportunities, and where people are finally going to see you as an adult, okay? Don't let anybody forget that, okay? You're, it's a big change. It may feel intimidating to some of you. So we felt um, that we should put together a Sunday morning series aimed at helping anyone that's about to go through major change to deal uh, successfully with the stress of whatever is coming your way. The series is called Hashtag Adulting, Life, Living Life with Christ After College. Last week, Russ Dietrich talked about uh, the, the difficulty of, of transition shock, where you move from one place to another. I'm uh, going to talk about something similar next week. Ashley Hobley will tell us how she stayed spiritually alive in these years since she's graduated. Today, I want to talk about what many people find is the biggest challenge after graduation, and that is loneliness. Loneliness. That was certainly the case for me coming out of college. Growing up, I was no stranger to being alone uh, or to loneliness. Stayed to myself a lot when I was a kid. I was afraid of a lot of things that kids do, things like riding a bike, things like ice skating. I will fall down. I'm not doing it. Swimming, I'm going to drown, okay? Learning new games. I won't be able to remember the rules. Playing sports also felt really challenging to me. I had a few good friends, but actually most of the time I felt insecure with people my own age. And then I went to college, and everything changed. It took me seven years, as many of you know, to get an undergraduate degree, but I didn't mind because those seven years were like a long party to me, okay? And maybe that's why it took me seven years to get the degree. I made friends in the dorms. I made friends in the fraternity. I made friends in houses off campus, and then I made the best friends ever in the Christian friends that I met the last few years, several of whom are still close friends today, uh, 38 years later. 
But then I graduated. It was like someone said, party's over. Time to find a job as a teacher. Now, I was raised in the Chicago suburbs. I had friends in the Chicago suburbs. The Chicago suburbs would have been ideal for me to teach. But my interviews at suburban schools didn't go that well, okay? <clears throat> my Things might have gone better had I not messed up my student teaching. The cooperating teacher who trained me was not very impressed with me. First, I insulted him, which is a story I'm not going to tell you, okay? Then he discovered that I didn't know my subject matter very well. Then he discovered that I didn't lesson plan the way he did. And then one of the maybe the 10 worst days of my life, he watched as I found myself embarrassingly unprepared in front of him and a whole room of students trying to demonstrate some machinery that I did not know how to use. <laughs> Afterwards, he called me into his office. He said, Wayne, I think you know that that was not very good. Yeah, I, yeah, it wasn't very good. So I want you to try again Thursday. And this time, it better be damn better. I worked two days. I went out to the shop at night. I even found a corporate leader with the, in machining, and I went out with him, and I did the demonstration in front of him. I was scared. At the end, let's just say that his recommendation for me of me was not stellar. Okay? And it made finding a, a job quite difficult. Um, and that summer, what is it, summer of 80, with time running out, before school would start, I began to interview in out-of-the-way places, like a school near Kankakee, Illinois. Where the heck is Kankakee? I looked at it. I had to pull out a map. And uh, now, way down there? No way. Uh, I went and interviewed. And the principal looked at my credentials. And he said, you know this recommendation is uh, not very good, Right? Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. Well, I'm out to find a teacher for this job. I'm out of time. So I'm going to take a chance on you. And so there I was, hired in a school, at a school in the middle of nowhere. I, I, so I didn't have to live there. I moved to Kankakee, or I lived there. And think, what what would be the worst place that you could send someone, okay? When I was a kid in the 1950s, the Cold War period, it was Siberia, okay? Uh, that was where my mom uh, said she wanted to send me multiple times uh, when I was a kid, when I was particularly annoying, well, uh, let me tell you, in the 1980s, Kankakee was not much better than, than Siberia. Uh, as a town, it's probably the, one of the most lifeless places on the planet. 
Go there. Drive, go up there. Drive through the town. Maybe when you get to Bradley, it's a little better. Bourbonnet, a little better. But Kankakee? Do you know what Kankakee's three most important industries were in 1980? Two water heater factories, a huge dog food factory, and the largest insane asylum in the state of Illinois, right? Shapiro Developmental Center, look it up. And single people my age seemed like they had all run off, you know? I counted 11 churches that I visited. I saw maybe two or three girls my age and not many men my age either. So whatever ambition I had of, of dating or finding this new band of brothers, well, I realized about six months in, I needed to scale back my expectations because I lived there four years and I had six friends. Only two of them were girls, and the only guy, the only real person that I really connected with was eight years younger than me. He has graduated from high school. So socially, I found it to be desolate. Now, my point here is not to tell a story that I've already told in some other semester or to weave some sort of a pity, pity story so you'll cry for how hard it was for me. <clears throat> because I'm telling the story this morning because I think my experience of being lonely right out of college was unusually hard. And so maybe it's a story uh, of how I dealt with it, and that may be helpful uh, if you ever go through a lonely time. I'm sure there's someone here that's thinking, why, I like being alone. I'm fine with that. I do too. Being alone allows me to focus. One of the greatest spiritual disciplines there is, is solitude and silence. I recommend that you learn that discipline, that you learn to get time away, alone with God. My wife, Janelle, she drinks in solitude, and quiet. She actually likes it when I go away. Okay? Luke tells us that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. But being alone is not the same thing as loneliness. Loneliness is being alone when you don't want to be alone. Solitude, that's something you choose. Loneliness is solitude that you don't want. I read uh, an article by psychologist Gretchen Rubin who identifies several kinds of loneliness. There is, I'm different, loneliness. I was different than everybody on that faculty, 27 people. I didn't drink. I, di I went to church. I actually talked about God out in the open, all right? I'm sure people thought, well, we're not inviting him on Saturday night. Then there's no sweetheart loneliness, which is often made worse by a lot of self-criticism. That there's something wrong, some defects that make it so that no one would want to be with me. We beat ourselves up, men and women. 
kind of despair there. It just steal away whatever joy or peace that it can bring you. Next is that no time for you, loneliness, which is exactly what my friends Tammy and Andy faced when they were newlyweds. Yes, married couples can face a lot of loneliness. They told me how they tried to meet people in church, but no sooner had they started a conversation with someone and they would go, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I, uh, I need to go. Uh, yeah. We'll see you next time. They never connected with another couple there in their one year in that church. It was like a continuum. Finally, there's our topic today, which is new situation loneliness, which not only affects graduating students, but anyone who moves to a new place. But why is loneliness so painful? Well, it's because we were designed to be with each other. We actually need, by God's design, to be with people, to be in community Immediately after forming man out of the dust, God says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And so because of the mercy of God, we have women. Without relationships, life is cold. Life is is colorless. This is why solitary confinement is so hard on felons. Our need for connectedness is so deeply wired inside of us that being rejected or socially excluded hurts, hurts like physical pain. Research shows that if you you find a person like that, you give them Tylenol and they feel better. This is why face-to-face contact with others and human touch are proven to raise endorphins and to increase the health of people. Mother Teresa of Calcutta said, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible problem. But that's what's coming now for the Western world. It's sweeping us like an epidemic. Just this last January, British Prime Minister Theresa May appointed a minister, a minister in the cabinet of loneliness. His mission was to attack what they're calling an epidemic of loneliness in Britain. It's taking a toll on the health of the British people. So what are they going to do in Britain? And what can we do when we go through a period of loneliness? If you go through a period of loneliness, well, there's actually a lot of things that you can do. I ain't going to lie here. This is, a, this is an advice talk, all right? At the door this morning, you were given a loneliness survival kit. Did anybody not get one of those that would like to have one this morning? Okay. You fill this out and, and keep it, put it in a drawer, and you're lonely. Go drag out that kit. Some of what I'm going to share this morning with you comes from the book After College by 
Erica Young reads, uh, surprising how much I enjoyed the book, seeing as I'm well after college. But please, <clears throat> you older folks, okay, don't tune me out this morning because I'm going to share principles or, that she shares too that are just as true for you if, if your PhD program ends and you're moving or your job changes and you have to move on or you know you have to go into the assisted living center and start making all new friends again at the manor home, you know? As Christians, this is, this is key, get one thing this morning. As Christians, what is most crucial in periods of loneliness is to remember that a Christian is never alone. He's never alone because Christ is with you. He's near. So here are, are nine practical things that we must do when we're heading into or experience a, a period of, of painful loneliness. First one, hold tightly to Jesus. You know, we can think that we are pretty committed Christians if we're faithful at coming to the groups in a, in a group like this, in the church like this. But if we're honest, whenever we're in that group, our focus is on each other. Hopefully we have some sense that God is in the room, but our main focus is on each other. Now, when your situation shifts, a lot of time away from people, like it did for me, you discover how real your faith is. Do you believe, actually, that Jesus is with you in that apartment, in your car as you're driving? My years alone really, and, and the fact that I was tested hard in those four years, it taught me to practice the presence the writer of Hebrews urges us, Hebrews 10.22, to draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. It was in those years that I learned to do that. I learned that to believe by faith that Jesus is right in this seat and I could speak with him like he was my friend. I love Paul writing to Timothy about being under arrest and in serious trouble and standing in front of a judge by himself and how it felt like everyone had abandoned him. He says, Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, has gone to Thessalonica. Christians has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me now. Good man. 2 Timothy 4.6, at my first defense before the judge, no one, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. I love this. Verse 17. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. When you're in pain, if you're under pressure, the 
can you see Jesus standing here? You see him standing with me now. Give me strength to speak to you. When life feels painfully alone like that, trust that he is there, right there. Maybe his hand even on your shoulder. Does that feel, does, do you think that feels too mystical? Do you, do you uh, try that and you hear this little voice inside you go, is that really true? Yes. The answer is yes. It's really true. So if you go into this period of loneliness as you graduate or you move, spend a lot of time learning to draw near to God. Second thing, be shaped by him. Christians are called disciples, which means learners, with him as the teacher. His aim is that you think like him, that you respond like him, that you do what he would do. The hard part for me is that I didn't want to do it. I, I really didn't. When students made things hard on me as a first-year teacher, I wanted to call fire down on their heads. Slowly, Jesus taught me not to take things so hard, to bend instead of snap. When teachers were offended by stuff I did, I tried to own it. They were usually right. And I tried to apologize and to change as much as I possibly could. So, <clears throat> after four years in that building, how much more like Christ do you think I was? Well, it wasn't like they mistook me in the hallway for, for the real Jesus. Who was, was, was that? The real Jesus? No, nah, that was Wager. Wow, he's, he's a little different. A little different. But enough that my boss told me that people had noticed. Three, volunteer to lead at a church. Volunteering to serve is essential. It's good. Make sure you do that. But if you can lead something or help lead something like a youth group or lead in the Sunday school, teach in the Sunday school, organize the greeter team, the chances are better, especially in small churches, that members, all the members will learn your name and your fellow leaders will become your friends. Fourth, join a small group or house church. But be choosy. Not every small group is good. It's not clear in some groups if the people in the group even want to be there. If the discussion is flat and no one is being vulnerable about their lives, um, try another group. If it's a clique that's not interested in bringing in a new person or paying attention to the new person, or if a group is just toxic, don't go, don't bother, don't bother said Kankakee was not good for me. We started a small group in Kankakee, me and three or four other guys who doubted their faith. That was the theme, our doubt. And all we did was sit and doubt together. And it was bad. And so we quit our own group, okay? <clears throat> Instead, you should look for a group um, 
that I met in Florida. They're called the Commandos. And a bunch of uh, professional men who meet at 6 a.m. at Le Peep for breakfast uh, and a rigorously prepared Bible study. They don't just sit and chuckle over their, their pancakes. They're, got, they're going after it. If I was to transplant, I'd be hunting for a group like that or a house church like Ryan talked about last week that's a bit bigger than a small group where there's meals involved and maybe some various ages involved. Fifth thing, expand your view of who could be a friend. You're going to miss your friends on campus. We all do. But look around that new church. Look around where you live and work. The people there are your new friends. I like to think that the friends that I had in college were pretty cool. I, I bragged on them. But they didn't come with me to Country Creek. My first year, I lived on third floor back efficiency apartment of an old house. And I lived two doors down from a convent. And right across the street was the public library. And one of the librarians was Sister Lamar. You know, she wore the dark uh, top and dress, and she had the white thing. And the, I don't know what you call that, all the stuff they wear on there. Huh? Kind of a habit, but it wasn't the kind like that's like sound of music kind, not that intense. But she found out that I was a Christian and I was a, uh, you know, like a born again Christian. And, and she befriended me and I befriended her. And over those years, I graded papers when I graded papers. Um, big, big problem for me as I was a teacher. Um, uh, but I graded and she would talk with me and I would we talk about our lives we talk about our faith I talked about my girlfriend pressures I talked because there was one back at western that had dumped me um it it was a, a, a true friendship that we had over those years it was during this time that I I deepened my friendship with Lenola I was going to scan a picture of her she's an old woman whose husband had been killed in a train accident. And at one point, when I visited her, we decided that we would adopt each other, that I would adopt her as my grandma, and she would adopt me as her grandson. And I visited her a couple of times a year for 15, 20 years until she passed. And I did her funeral. I spoke at it. We'd sit and watch TV, and she had hundreds of dolls. She was a doll collector, and yet she was broke. So almost every night, time I visited her, I said, well, what if we sold some of these dolls? Okay, I, I talk about the merits of garage sales. You know, She couldn't part with any of them. I never thought when I moved to Kankakee that I'd be friends with people like Orville and Joyce Cordes couple in their late 60s, not well-educated, not very healthy, lived in a trailer park way outside of town on a gravel road. They became like family. She baked birthday cakes for me. And then there was Bill, the guy I mentioned earlier that just graduated from high school. He and I led the largest and the least well-behaved youth group in the Northern Illinois District of the Western Church. 
we don't have time to go into that. <clears throat> See, you do friends, you do life with the friends that you have without grumbling that they're weird or they're not like the friends that you had in college. It was a stretch. Same time, it is a good idea to stay close. Number six, stay close to a few friends from your college years, just a few. You've got you've to cleave to where you are now in that new place, but a connection with a couple of those college friends is, is excellent. When I was going through this time, and, and I didn't actually take a clay class in architectural drawing, but I was teaching it, and I was teaching welding, and I couldn't weld, so it was hard, and, and the stress was on me. I had a good friend that spent two hours a week on the phone with me. God bless that friend. One of the best empathetic listeners I have ever met. And you guys, social media, so it's fun, right? But you need face-to-face -face time. If you can't get face-to-face -face time, get FaceTime or Skype, okay? <laughs> The warmer the human contact, the better. Seven, play volleyball. Join a chorus. You're bad at volleyball, you can't sing, it doesn't matter. You'll get better. Play dodgeball, Russ, okay? Do not sit in your apartment vegging binge-watching Netflix. I love Netflix, but that's toxic if you are lonely. You know, I look at what's in the, going on in the park district in this town. It's a whole book. Check the why. Read the posters at the public library. There is, most towns are crawling with social activity that you can get involved with. I urge you to join something like that and stick with it until it's not for you, but don't quit until you start something new. Don't give up. Eight, party, but not too hardy. Have parties. Have eight people for, for dinner once a week. Once a week? You cook in volume. You know, you buy a bunch of stuff, you're ready to go. People can count on it, okay? Barbecue. Barbecuing. Anthropologists, I read this week, say eating in groups goes back 12,000 years as a way of creating group identities. Talk about an idea that has weathered the test of time. That is one. Barbecue first, as they say. But be wary of that hearty part, the alcohol part. You are not going to make very many intimate, lifelong friends at, at happy hour. Conversation grows shallower on every drink. And finally, and I put, it, I put this last, nine, excel at work. Excel at work. I doubt I even need to mention this one. That you're graduating from Illinois shows that you, you know how to work. You, you have a drive to succeed, almost all of you. But I have seen more than a few students graduate from here who think they have already arrived, okay? 
I got a degree in engineering. I'm an engineer. No, you're not. You've got a ticket to start the game. I got a degree in education. Was I an educator? Mr. Morrison says I wasn't, okay? <laughs> but I, I, this is not in the notes. When I had to go and come here, my principal, he wanted to keep me. He said, I like you. I want you. You had about the best year a teacher could possibly have. What are they paying you down there in the new job? And he looked at the sheet, and he said, I don't, if I could find a way to match you, I would. You're an outstanding planner, by the way, he told me. <laughs> uh, I entered my profession knowing that I had a lot of work to do. If I was going to be excellent at what I did, I was going to need to invest serious time, like Saturday nights in a shop trying to figure out how to use the very machines that I was going to demonstrate. So I made a choice to see those lonely years as a phase rather than a sentence, an opportunity to grow rather than a period of waiting. I knew something was going to change. I knew I was going somewhere, and I allowed my life and all the things I was doing to speak, speak forth my commitment to God. Superintendent said, you're a sincere Christian, I can tell. I'm not telling you that to brag. I'm telling you that, that maturity helped. It helped people see Christ in me. I'm not wishing, by the way, um, you know, loneliness and singleness on any of you. But if you do go through a lonely time, use it for good. Do you hear me? Use it for good. I'm going to finish with something I talked about a few years ago. Uh, at Christmas a few years ago, I took a Sunday morning here to tell the story of Joseph from the book of Genesis. I think it's probably the best story in the Old Testament. And I, I talked that morning about how he handled lonely, disappointing years. Do you know the story? You remember the story? An annoying kid, I kind of relate, okay, who had a vision and his brothers hated him for it. So they sold him into slavery where he lived as a foreigner in a foreign land, cut off from his brothers, his dad, any friends that he had, didn't know his soul, didn't speak the language. And instead of uh, wilting in self-pity, he worshiped with his whole heart and then excelled at his work. And as he did, the people around him, especially his master, they saw a divine difference in him, a divine difference. But again, you know the story. He was treated unfairly. He was framed. And he was sentenced to prison for something he didn't do. Okay? Now, he's, he's, it's almost as bad as he's going to Kankakee. He is put in prison for 11 years. 
with hardly a friend at his side. That's loneliness on a different scale. But the Spirit of God was so strong in Joseph. He remained steadfast in his faith. And he did his best to excel, even in prison, excelled. The chief jailer said, who are you? You're amazing. And he became uh, in charge in the prison. And again, his captors and eventually the king, they saw a God-inspired difference in him. That could be you. That could be you. A difference that, that caused people, inspired people to faith. I want to invite the band to come up right now. And um, some of you may remember that I heard this story just before I went to Kankakee. I heard it at Willow Creek. And I thought about Joseph a lot over those years. That was one of the reasons I poured myself in the way I did. I wanted people to see a divine difference in me. And I'm urging you to make it your goal. The story so inspired me, as I mentioned years ago, that that I named my first son Joseph. I don't want to make something that sounds that's hard sound easy. Being oppressively lonely is painful and it can go on a long time. But isn't it? It's just like God. I thought this too at the time. It's just like God to take someone and to bring them low and to leave them there for a while and then to raise them up again. And that's what I was waiting for, and that's what happened. Last thing, we always need to remember what Jesus said in his last words, okay? Last words after his last speech, Matthew 28, 20. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. He's with you. He's standing wherever you go. Okay? Let's stand and pray together.